the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 128, and our guest is Marissa R. Moss. Marissa is an award-winning journalist from New York who now makes her home in Nashville. She frequently contributes to Rolling Stone, American Songwriter, Billboard, NPR, and others. Her work has also appeared in Nylon, Pitchfork, Entertainment Weekly, The Guardian, and Politico, Her book, Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success Story They Were Never Supposed to Be, was released in May of 2022, y'all. Her Country is a must-read for anyone who loves country music, American politics, modern history, or just a really well-written book. This conversation is an insightful deep dive from an excellent writer, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. We caught up with Marissa via Zoom to talk about the process of making her country and just creativity in general. Y'all, whenever we have a guest who is not a recording artist, I try to find musical partners who fit the vibe or theme of the episode if possible. And in this case, I didn't have to look too far. Great friends of the show Van Plating and Hannah Harbour immediately came to mind and both graciously agreed to lend their music to the conversation. The song you're hearing at the beginning of the show is How Lonely by Van Plating. It's from her most recent album, The Way Down. And later, you will hear Sorry Darlin' by Hannah Harbour. That's from her record, Long Time Coming. More on Van and Hannah at the end of the show. Until then, y'all, it is my great pleasure to bring you my conversation with Marissa R. Moss. While you're doing that, do I sound um, especially nasally? I'm on the tail end of uh, my very first COVID experience, so oh, I hope, no. I, hope I don't sound prohibitively. <laughs> no. Are you feeling okay? Yeah, I feel fine. Yeah, I mean, I went through a couple of days where it was fevery and all that stuff, but I just feel like I have bad allergies right now. Oh man! And I, and I just miss my partner and my dogs. Oh. <laughs> You're quarantined away from everyone. Yeah, I'm just I'm staying in the house, but I'm just like we're just trying to stay away from each other, you know, so she doesn't get it. And um, 
So I'm just in my studio, which is not a bad place to be quarantined because I've got, you know, all the entertainment any human being could ever want here, books and records and, you know, internets. <laughs> so uh, it's not a big deal. It's just, um, it's actually been kind of like nice to have this sort of high tech monastic existence, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. But, um, I, but I do miss, you know, hugs. Yeah. Other than that, I'm good. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book, Her Country. It's so fantastic. And um, you've seen me raving about it on the internet. And uh, I'm really excited to dive deep into it. So I just first want to say thank you for writing this incredible book that I think is so important. Oh, gosh, thank you. And thank you for the kind words and support. Uh, for, for sure. My pleasure. I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in so much about this. And um, I had to, like, I did a little bit of, uh, you know, self-reflection when after i finished the book um this show has been around since 2016 really 2017 and one of the things i early on committed myself to was i'm it's not just going to be a show about white guys with guitars <laughs> it started out that way because i know a lot of white guys with guitars and i love them um mm -hmm. and i had access to them you know but i was like that's not what it's going to be because i also love all kinds of music and um i i want to be I want to be mindful of the fact that I'm booking women, that I'm booking people of color, that I'm just not going back to that same very simple well. And uh, right, you are the first woman to be on the show in ten episodes. Oh, so, so, so I had I had to like. It's it's interesting as I was preparing for this. It's like all right, I gotta at the outset just sort of own that I think that is a perfect illustration of why the work you do is so important. Like I'm hyper aware of it and trying to do better. And yet I'm still booking white guy with guitar after white guy with guitar for my podcast. That is not about white guys with guitars. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm interested in sort of the urgency to write the book and, you know, from the idea in your head to sort of it being published um, it's timely and it's well-written and it's important. Can you talk to us about like the fire lit under you to write this? Yeah. Um, and I moved to Nashville about 11 years ago from New York and immediately kind of dove right into the country music scene um, and started reporting and really quickly noticed um, that there was a gender imbalance, not just in country radio, but kind of in every aspect of the industry. Um, at the same time, I also really quickly noticed that in Nashville, if you speak out about anything, it is not greeted um, kindly. Um, and so just kind of naturally gravitated to telling sorts of stories and with the help of a wonderful literary agent who kind of uh, made me believe in myself. Um, but, you know, help me get past some of the imposter syndrome, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I really, it really felt important to do this story now because what country radio is going to show in the history of books is going to be very different from the story that is in her country. It's not going to include, except for some Marin Morris songs, it's not going to have these women and you know all you look at number ones you don't look at number eight when you're looking at history books of you know the billboard top hundred songs or whatever. You look at number ones and that story is going to be white cishet straight men um, with guitars 
just in country, country guitars. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was important to tell a story that was, you know, that wouldn't be reflected in those, you know, in that narrative that uh, would eventually become just a success story of men if we let time uh, do its thing. What an incredible sense of history there. I mean, when you say that, it kind of chills me a little bit because it like the idea that Amanda Shires, for example, would not be someone who's talked about in the history of country music. It feels very real as you say that. And at the same time, seems like the craziest thing I could think of. Right. As I think about especially when I think about all of her records, you know, but especially the impact that some of her most recent records have had on so many people and the audience they're reaching, the broad audience they're reaching, in my mind, at least. And so that sense of history, is that something is that something you've had, a, especially when it comes to country music, is that something you've had a sense of for a long time or was that like an aha moment? Um, I mean, I think it's important to, I'm always kind of looking at taking stock of like what I believe, you know, and what I think is the truth versus what I've been um, and, and trying to unpack that and figure out if that's true versus what I've been told, like what, you know, separate those things from each other. Um, and I think we do that, uh, that happens a lot with women's stories because of the lens that they're told through over time. You end up with a situation where, you know, Kate Bush is finally like having worldwide acclaim because her song was in a television show, not because she's one of the like, you know, uh, you know, genius artists of our time. And it's wonderful that that's how we came to, you know, I'm not talking about country music now, but it's all, you know, the, the same pattern emerges. And I hope that's, you know, maybe that would have happened with someone like Amanda. I think her genius would um, would prove that she's one that we will be talking about for a very long time with or without, you know, historical records of it. But because it's not, her songs aren't getting played on country radio and, um you never you don't know you don't know how like the misogynistic lens of of history is going to alter that view um so that's why i thought it was really important to have that kind of document um that says you know these are the foundational characters and stories and and influential people um of our time you know in country music you know i want to i want to put a pin a little bit in in that idea of history just because I do want to kind of explore sort of where we go from here at some point because you made me think before so that I don't forget myself made me think about like how we are documenting history now and what that might look like but let's put a pin in that for now because I really want to make sure in our limited time together that I talk about one of the things that a couple things that really stood out to me and that is the way the book is written um Mm -hmm. that there are a couple things that I loved one several things I loved. I was obviously crazy about this thing. The One of the things is the sort of nonlinear nature of the book. In, in other words, chronologically, in, in other words, right? So you jump around quite a bit as you follow the stories of several people focused on Mickey Guyton, Maren Morris, and Casey Musgraves. But we're jumping around in time quite a bit. And I feel like in the hands of a lesser craftsperson that it would be easy to get lost in that, but I never at any point felt lost. I always felt as though 
I knew exactly what you were talking about. I knew where you were going. You were explaining exactly what I needed to know in that moment. Was that an intention? Was that intentional? And um, if so, can you talk about that choice to write in that way? Yeah. Um, well, thank you. That's I really appreciate you saying that because I agonized over it a lot. <laughs> um, it was a lot to pack into a book. Um, three central stories plus a lot of other characters on the, you know, on the periphery or at the center. Um, 20 years of time plus historical context. Um, but I didn't want it to be boring. Also, you know, mm -hmm. I want to tell a good story. Um, and so I really every I, I mean, I hope you don't see it as you're reading. Maybe you do. But like every chapter is very there's so much scaffolding that went into putting each chapter together. Um, many, many like my wall and floor of my office at one point looked like I was trying to track down a serial track down a serial killer and had also like in the process lost my own mind because just index cards everywhere post i mean i'm working on my next book and obviously people aren't won't be able to see it but i like have post-its everywhere and index cards everywhere and it's a little crazy but um just to make sure that there were i included everything that i felt was important in a way that was interesting to read um and that I intentionally dropped a lot of um, Easter egg or not Easter eggs, but um, little like little tidbits in there that exist in their own. And the idea was hopefully that people have their computers and they can Google those things that I drop and go down different wormholes. Um, Which I did for sure reading. Good. Yeah, that's what I, you know, it, whether it was a book or something by a scholar or um, or an artist or you know different things that felt important but i didn't i couldn't get i couldn't talk about everything you know i um you know i kind of purposely remember putting in i was like i really like i want to talk about the band perry but i can't like this is you know i drew this line as to where it's banned it's not bands it's women solo artists um so i like dropped a band perry nugget and was hoping that people would go down that road and um i hope that you know there, there was a lot in a digest, digestible way, but I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, the, um, the sorry, my dogs are losing their minds. My cat is like nonstop crawling up. They got me distracted because this is such a great conversation <laughs> and I hope it doesn't ruin the experience for people listening and there's nothing I can do about it right now. It's um, like, you know. <laughs> the, um, there's a couple of things that I, I'm curious about there. I mean, one uh, for, so to your point about wanting people to go down those rabbit holes, there was that whole, I forget the name of it, but that whole sort of collective that Marin and those folks and Casey had where they're, um, they're in that house for a long time in East Nashville. Oh, the hotel villa, the hotel yeah. villa. There's several artists in there. I follow this stuff really closely. Most the 90% of the artists I have on this show, 80%, I guess are Americana artists or country artists, right? Again, not intentional, but just the way that it all has worked out. And I follow this stuff really closely. And yet there was a couple of names in there that I was like, who? And then when I dove in, of course, they're amazing, you know? And um, and so I was really grateful for that as well. But I'm curious about the process as, you know, a writer myself, as someone who aspires to write books uh, myself, 
that whole thing you're talking about, you've got like these notes everywhere. You're, you're looking, as you described it, like you're trying to track down a serial killer. How do you overcome, like, how do you stave off feeling overwhelmed by that? Cause this is a big project as you outlined, how do you, how did you keep centered and not get overwhelmed by it? Oh God, I did get over. I mean, <laughs> many nervous breakdowns. Um, Lots of microdosing. No. Um, oh, nice. Really? <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Nice. Um, big fan of microdosing for many ailments, but that's nice. not, I know that's not the focus of this show. No, I, I wish I had another 40 minutes with you to talk about psilocybin, though. But anyway, go ahead. Highly endorse. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I mean, I, I did like have a lot of breakdown moments, it, you know imposter syndrome moments panic moments um and i'm really i'm re like just starting to write another book and reliving all of that and i'm like oh my god why did i do this to myself again like the last book i wrote in covid quarantine with two kids at home and i always thought oh once they're back in school and things are sort of quote unquote normal even though obviously covid is still around um at least you know with things back in school and somewhat normal when I go to write another book, oh, that like that'll be so easy. I'll have all the time in the world. And I think I realized that while I have more time, uh, that was kind of a distraction from like what was going on in my own head and sense of constant overwhelm because <laughs> I had to care for them and do virtual school. And just I had to go, then go upstairs at night and write and I didn't have a choice. Um, it's a lot. I mean, I think I was as a writer, I've always not been an outline person. I've always resisted that. And I just, I kind of had lean into like my gut and flow. I obviously beyond all like sort of journalistic standards, obviously follow those. But then when it comes to the writing process, it, it, it's kind of a weird gut thing. Like I always know, like my gut will tell me like what my opener is and um, if I'm working on a shorter piece, but when you're looking in a book, you can't just like fly by the seat of your pants. Um, you have to outline, you have to organize, you have to put things on note cards and go crazy and, and all of that, or you are totally destined for absolute chaos. And it was really against my, uh, you know, my natural way of working, but I had to learn that. Like I had to learn to like log my word counts every day. And like, I hate all that. Like I can't, I don't like thinking about any of that when I write. I don't like thinking about how many words I've written. I don't like doing any of that, but I had to kind of reinvent myself as a writer a little bit to actually make a book happen or otherwise it would have just been like totally off in space. Why did, when you say you had to log your word counts, is that something that the publisher requires? Is that a self-discipline thing? Like, why do you have to do, why did you have to do that? Self-discipline. Like I realized like it, and I think, you know, you have to hit this target. I think um, her country is 85,000 words, something like that. Um, and the most I'd ever written in a feature was maybe like five. Uh, and that was my longest, you know? So I think I like, I needed to know that I was making progress and like needed to see it on a chart, which is nothing that I've ever felt before. I don't like Excel charts and I, 
I don't like those things. And I think part of that was like breaking this sort of like bogus myth of like a writer that I'd created in my head that you can't do those things. It's like a writer isn't entering numbers into a chart, like, and then you need to break down that bullshit because, you know, it's still like a business, you're still chasing a goal and it's still your job and a business and all of those things. It doesn't take away from the art, but like, you have to have those structures around you to be successful, at least for me, maybe there are people who can just do it, I don't know. But I needed to know that I was, you know, on track with my word count and making progress and see that progress in front of me and um, develop some really weird like habits that felt really strange to me, but that ended up being helpful. That, that myth that you just described as being bullshit, you know, I, it makes me think about like um, an analog to that would be the myth of the songwriter who has to be drunk or high in some way in order to do their best work. Whereas, you know, most of my favorite songwriters either don't drink or take drugs or are really disciplined about it. Not all of them, but um, some of the greats are now sit down and do the work every day kind of people. And they, and that's how they're able to make the things that they're making. They're, they're very disciplined in the way that they do things. And that's really interesting how, you know, you're, you're overcoming that, you know, that myth of like the, I don't know, the, the mysticism of writing, right. That it's, it's not just always some magical thing that comes to you. There might be an element of that to writing in general, but you're just, you were doing the work. You were really doing the work. Yeah, you have to. And, and I think especially with a book that I had always, you know, you grew up as a kid, as a writer, and you envision this process of writing a book and being a, you know, a book author, which is different from journalism, which, you know, has is a trade has an aspect of trade to it. Um, and I the book, the idea of writing a book itself felt like, yeah, it had to be kind of in this, you know, this mythologized world that is not at all practical. And then I had to break out of for myself. Um, and once you did, like, you know, once you figure out those sort of rules and parameters for yourself and how you will work, you can be more creative in that frame. Mm. Um, and that's something that I'd heard a lot for people, you know, like you, you hear people talk about applying that to, you know, composing jazz music. And it's like, you have to make those rules because then within the frame, you can be more creative. And, and that definitely was very true for me when it came to book writing. So at first I just sat down and you see you are in front of the blank page and you have no, you know, you, nothing around you and you're kind of paralyzed. You're like, you know, I can't, you can't bounce around in a box that's like as big as the universe. You're just gonna like hide in a corner. But if you give yourself like a little bit more of confined space and, and kind of rules and, and a process, you're much more free. You've a couple of times in this conversation said the words imposter syndrome. And <laughs> I am always fascinated in imposter syndrome. All, I feel like all creatives do have a little bit of that in them. Um, 
but Marissa, th there doesn't feel like there's much hope for the rest of us when you, an acclaimed writer going into this project, someone who is well-respected in the field, in this specific field, right, in doing this kind of work, is feeling imposter syndrome as you go into her country. And then after you have now written this wonderful book and you've gotten all this amazing feedback, now you see, you're saying that you're feeling a little bit more of that. You're going through it in your head again about <laughs> your forthcoming book which I'm assuming you're talking about what she needs is a good defense. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what, what do you, how do you process that? Like, do you think that's something you'll ever get over? Is there any hope for all of us with the imposter syndrome? Is it somehow useful in some way? Can you just explore that a little bit? I mean, and I think, I think you can have imposter syndrome and also be really confident in your craft and your abilities. Mm -hmm. I do have both like I believe in my abilities as a writer doesn't mean I always feel great about it um but for the most part I I believe in my work you know um but on the other hand I constantly not constantly but more than I would like definitely feel like you know like I, I don't deserve to be here you know and I think like Part of that is, you know, growing up as a, you know, woman in a male dominated field and, and constantly feeling less than and judged, I guess. Um, I've never quite let that go. Um, mm. And other is like, I, you know, I try not to like, with this next book, it's not focused on country music. And you know, even within that, knowing that I'm thoroughly capable of telling these stories, there's always like a small group of people that are like allowed to tell a certain kind of story in music. And, um, and I feel that too. And I always see it and I kind of on always feel on the outside of that in some weird way. Um, it's like, oh, no, like the, this elite group is allowed to talk about these things. And I'm not in that. And um and maybe that's healthy i guess because maybe then you get too comfortable mm. so i guess like trying to embrace the good part of imposter syndrome as best as you can and um you have to like have a bit of an outsider mentality to do the kind of work that i want to do um and it makes things um you know, not as comfortable, I guess, but it helps me get the work done. Um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. I wish I could say like, I think I'll probably have imposter syndrome forever and that's just how it's gonna be. Right. Know. Well, and part of that may also, it sounds almost like, you, like there's like a healthy chip on your shoulder, you know, <laughs> sort of like I belong, I know I'm good enough, but I haven't necessarily been included in those spaces or the narrative that's been, that's been presented to me. Isn't that I'm included in those spaces or I belong there. Like at your core, you know, you're good and you've gotten outside affirmation that you're good. But at the same time, if you're being told by society and you're feeling directly that you don't belong in that space, I could see how there'd be a little bit of like, come on now, I'm, I'm good enough for this. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And yeah, like I like I do. I am for the most part confident in in my craft. That doesn't mean that I 
can always get better. And I always am hard on myself and always, you know, see other people and wish I could do what so-and-so just did. Um, it, you know, that keeps you on your toes, I guess. I can't ever imagine if, I don't know if there's someone out there who like oh, thinks they're the best in the world. That must be cool. I mean, good for them. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it, there's definitely, it, it's interesting now in this next book, feeling that, feeling things in a different way. Whereas in her country, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not part of the country music establishment in Lent in certain rooms. That is by choice. I didn't want to be in those rooms kind of before that it was like well i'm a woman i'm not letting the boys club of music writing and now it's kind of like i'm not let i i'm not letting this even smaller club of people that are allowed to write about like you know women from the 90s and you know feminist issues and rock music and i'm like the i guess i've constructed that in my head but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, so that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you about the sort of you you talked at the very beginning of this conversation about sort of like how you know if you speak out in Nashville against certain things, how it's a really uh, easy way to get sort of shut out completely or you know ostracized or whatever. How like what kind of resistance did you run up to run up against in the making of the book and like how, and, and subsequently, and then how have you, how did, how are you navigating that? Um, I mean, it's weird. Like I didn't, I guess I knew that anyone that would say no was like, not, I mean, I still asked anyone, everyone and got very used to, you're used to getting no's, you know? Um, but I mean, I think the interesting thing is that you do, and the one thing that I hope has helped, that I think has helped me do the work that I do, um, that I do really love country music and the music made in this town. And I think people do, if they think of anything and they think of my work, I hope that they think that that is true and gives me some access where maybe I wouldn't have it. Uh, because I do really love country music and I do try to put that into my work and to approach my work in a way that comes at it with that love and respect and interest first. Um, like I've done a lot of profiles on like bro country dudes and because I love the genre, I'm interested in what they have to say. And I'm interested in the music they make. It may not be what I listen to when I am by myself in my room, you know, but I'm still for the most part interested in most of it. And if it's moving like thousands of people, I'm interested in why. And, and I've always brought that to my work that I've done here in Nashville is that kind of openness to understand um, different artists that may not be like in the cool kid club or whatever. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I also do really think too that like, there's this dismissive idea about country music from outside of Nashville, that, you know, people are really missing a lot of great 
artists because they assume that all country music sucks. Mm. Um, and so I think that's the reason that not every door is slammed in my face. You know, when I try to get an interview, people give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because I, uh, you know, I've really tried to put that like care into my, into my work overall. Wow. What an incredible answer. I, another thing that I want to talk about with this sort of the choices you made in the book is obviously sexism. We're talking about quite a bit in the book, racism. We're talking about quite a bit in the book, but you also weave in politics of nationalism and you talk about the telecommunications act of 1996 and then the aftermath of September 11th and the turn that that country music took that talk about rabbit holes mm -hmm. the telecommunications act of 1996 was one of those things that i knew about right and i knew the basics of but when i read when i when i read your book and i started thinking about it more and i'm just kind of I'm obsessed with hypernationalism and the, you know, supersonic rise of fascism, especially over the last few years and the role that culture and especially music plays in all of that. Can you talk a little bit about like your decision to include those things and, and like your comfort with that subject matter and like how to weave it? Cause it's so masterfully we woven into the, the rest of the narrative and like your comfort level with that subject matter, then also how you sort of wove that into the book so masterfully. Oh, thank you. Um, it's funny, my uh, my literary agent, <laughs> I mean, her job is to get books sold and, you know, that people want to read. And she would always say to me, she's like, when I was writing this book, she's like, you can put like a little bit of telecommunications act in there, but like, you know that's only sexy to you and <laughs> like um she, she's wrong <laughs> but i mean i do think she is right in that no one you know no one wants a whole i mean i would read a whole book on the telecom act and and we're out there um but those were things that like exist like political events in our you know the way that political events have influenced the trajectory of music or like specifically like really granular political events like the telecom act or who trump put in uh to his administration how that impacted things um you know very specific choices and or more broad political events cultural events like those all are one in the same of the story. Like I can't see any kind of universe where you talk about these things and you don't mention, you, you can't talk about music as it is now, in my view, um, any issues of, of gender, race, um, quality without talking about the telecom act. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to bore people by getting too in the weeds, but it's also, like so crucial to talk about and to understand the ramifications that that had the ramifications that you know 9-11 had on country music or music as a whole um 
And I think I wanted to show people that even though I wasn't getting into the, you know, I didn't tell the full story of country music's whole political history, music's whole political history, to understand that these things always go together. Um, and that if you dig throughout music history, you will always see, um, you know, political event, political events being mirrored by or impacting music and vice versa, far beyond just what we know about. When we think about that, we think of Vietnam War and that's, you know, most people's general knowledge of like the intersection of politics and music. Um, but, you know, it, it's always there, you know, that relationship is always there. For sure. And, I, you know, I think I strongly believe po politics is in everything and that, you know, if we're trying to say don't make it political, that what we're doing is we're just sticking our head in the sand about things that need to be addressed and need to be discussed. And so I'm I'm really grateful that you went so you went so deep on that and that, you know, your agent didn't totally went out um, on this. So I appreciate that a great deal, because, again, I've done a lot of diving into it now, and it's really helped me understand some things that I've just found infuriating, um, especially being the age that I am. That that, that act comes out. I, I turned 16 that year. And so it's just like what? And then 9-11, I turned 21 that year. It's just like, yeah. you know, and so just thinking about all of those things in the context of my own life and applying, you know, the lessons learned in the book and the things that I that we need to be aware of in the book. Um, it feels so personal when I think about it that way. So I'm really glad you did that. Um, all right. We have a limited amount of time and I want to honor your time, but I would like a couple of things. One is to uh, just, if you could briefly tell us whatever you can tell us about the project you're working on now, what she needs is a good defense. Um, yeah. Thanks for asking. It's uh, so, I mean, I very much view all of, you know, if I'm lucky enough to write a third, fourth book, whatever, all part of a, a uh, similar mission, um, but what she needs is a good defense is women, um, the story of women in rock in the 90s. I got to work on my elevator pitch. <laughs> I don't know about over the over time. Um, it's a tricky part when you talk about it now. You're like, you have to do the elevator pitch, but not give too much away. Mm -hmm. um, not like there's that much to give away. But the, the biggest difference between the two, other than different women, uh, different genre, all that stuff, is um, it's written first person. Um, so there's a bit of an aspect of memoir to it, although it's not a memoir. But um, cool. something I've always noticed and liked is a lot of books by men that are very personal, their personal reactions to music. Um, and I've really liked all those books. I'm not shitting on those books, you know, uh, Rob Sheffield, I've read all his books and, you know, Stephen Hyde and all, all those books I've really enjoyed, not shitting on those books at all. I think they're wonderful. I just think women should have more of a space to talk about how music makes them feel and how it, um, was a part of their lives. So that's something that I'm trying to do with this next book too. But um, yeah, also feeling imposter syndrome, even though it's my story. Um, so yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited to read it. I'm so excited for you to finish it and get it published and read it. And that's that sounds awesome. 
I'm really excited for you and I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. Um, all right. With three minutes left, um, <laughs> we usually end on what you're getting down on. So I am very curious about the art that has you inspired at the moment. The It could be music that you're listening to, a TV show you're watching, whatever's got you fired up right now. Oh boy. I always think about the, the crazy thing is, is like, even when you know you're going to get asked this, you're like, okay, I'm going to think about it. And then the question comes and you're like, I do nothing. I listen to nothing. I, know. I, I hate when the guest turns it back on me. Hate it. Cause I'm just like, oh, well, you know, so anyway. Um, what? Yeah. Um, what have I been listening to lately? Um, I, I'm still really obsessed with the Plains record. Um, that has been a really enduring album that I've been listening to kind of nonstop. Um, I'm very excited for the new Rustin Kelly album, um, Joy Ladakun. Uh, those are all April albums, but they both had some music out. Um, two favorites that I'm really excited about. And I've been reading, unsurprisingly, I guess, a lot of memoir, like, but not just music I read and really enjoyed Margot Price's memoir, but trying to read like a lot of different memoir to expand my mind or whatnot. Um, so even like memoirs by actresses, like I read Selma Blair's memoir, like nothing I would normally think of really picking up because um, I mostly am all music all the time um but yeah a lot of memoir and hmm, what have i been watching well i watched that third episode of the last of us that everyone's talking about and obsessed with and felt equally obsessed um i, yeah. I don't i can't remember i mean i love chernobyl like craig mazin you know the showrunner for both those shows i think is a genius i can't remember an episode of television like it's it's worthy of all of the praise episode yeah. three of the last of us but i haven't we haven't watched the fourth episode because i'm like well why it's, <laughs> I mean, still, it's also <laughs> excellent <laughs> but like i feel phil like i feel yeah. complete it's, um, it's it's all excellent just yeah, yeah keep going <laughs> i will i definitely that's what i'm doing tonight so all right awesome <laughs> All right. Well, I want to let you go. I'm so great. This has been awesome. I mean, I expected yeah. it would be wonderful, but it exceeded my expectations. And um, I'm just really, really grateful for the work that you do. I'm so grateful for your time. And thank you again and again. Thank you. Thank you for uh, such a cool conversation. I don't usually get to talk about like craft and, and all those things. And uh, it was really fun to talk about. I'm so glad. That's what we do here. And you gave us a lot of gems. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to folks hearing it. Darling, Thanks again. All right. Take care. Have a great night. Take care, you too. Calling you up just to reminisce. I convinced myself it's you that I miss. So I'm sorry, darling. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry.
Marissa R. Moss, y'all. Thank you so much, Marissa. Thank all of you for listening. MarissaRMoss.com for all things Marissa R. Moss. What an amazing conversation. If you aren't sold on reading her book, Her Country, after that, I ain't got nothing left for you, y'all. It's great. Get a copy from her website uh, or from your local bookstore. That's where I got mine. Park Ave CD is my local book and record store. Some free pub for them right now. Here in Orlando, I saw the book on the on the shelf. I'd been meaning to read it, and I snatched it up. And I'm so glad that I did, and I'm so glad that Marissa agreed to this conversation and gave us so much, y'all. I feel like I learned a ton. Thank you also to my dear friends Van Plating and Hannah Harbor for lending their tunes to the show vanplating.com for all things van plating Uh, van is putting the finishing touches on her forthcoming record orange blossom child so stay tuned to her socials and her website for all those updates hannahharbor.com for all things hannah harbor hannah also has a new album on the way back in october of 2022 she recorded a live solo record at heartwood soundstage in gainesville florida If you've ever seen Hannah Live, then you know why I'm fired up about that. Uh, Both of them have actually been guests on the show as well. Hannah's actually appeared twice. She had her own feature episode. And then during the Rockin' Robinson Festival here in Orlando a few years ago, we sat down a second time. And Van and I recorded, uh, to date, the longest conversation in marinade history. Um, We had to cut it off, and I put some of it on the Patreon because we just... uh, Van and I enjoy each other's company, and we enjoy picking each other's brains. So... um, I'm really excited for the the stuff that both of them have in the works and uh, hoping to sit down with each of them also again this year so you can hear more about the the exciting things they have on the way. Marinadepodcast.com for all things The Marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Spoutable, and Twitter. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the Marinade. Another way you can get a hold of us, everybody, is you can send us an email. It's marinadepodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you fill out the form that's on the website, that goes straight to my um, to my email as well, that, that email address as well. And we just love getting notes or, or even uh, you know DMs about how much you appreciate appreciate the show or something you learned or even something you want to see any feedback you have for us we really appreciate it and um, thank you so much to everybody who shares retweets those things go a long way y'all if you share a story or an episode or whatever in some way a link uh, it makes a big difference it not only makes me feel good about this work we're doing but it exposes other people to these amazing folks that we get to talk with you know this this conversation with marissa i hope reaches far and wide because it's really a worthwhile conversation and gosh I mean what an incredible creative and and just such an interesting person who opened up quite a bit about their process and so I hope uh, I'm grateful to each of you for continuing to spread the word about the show if you really like what we're doing please consider joining our patreon community just a few bucks a month two dollars a month you can gain access to patreon exclusive content like our show jason's journey where i talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade we also have a brand new monthly show it's not quite brand new anymore but still fairly new that's called what we're getting down on it's a conversation between me and my good friend peter harrelson and then our show, Inner Child, where I ask our, our guests childlike uh, questions such as favorite food, TV show, things like that. Um, all for $2 a month, patreon.com slash podcast. if you can swing it. If you want to support the show financially but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, 
I totally get that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. It's just at the marinade. All the money goes right back into the show. And we're just so grateful for everybody who's able to donate their treasure. But above all, this is a free show. We're thankful that you listen. We're thankful that you spread the word about the marinade. We're thankful that you interact with the show. We're thankful that you buy the records and books and paintings and all of the amazing creations that our guests put out there in the world. And just one more time, again and again and again. (laughs) Thank you. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.